listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind that filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. It is quite a picture, isn't it? These friends and followers of Jesus see, feel, hear, maybe even smell the utterly holy in this unexpected and disruptive way. They'd stumbled around Galilee for three years, only half understanding what he'd been trying to teach them. They'd had it all come crashing down around them when he was arrested and killed, only to discover that somehow, somehow, That wasn't the end of the story, but in fact only its beginning. Over 40 days they'd seen Jesus again and again. They'd seen him, they'd eaten meals with him, and they'd finally heard with some measure of clarity the things he'd been trying to tell them all along. At the end of those 40 days he was taken from them, but they were not to be left rudderless. As Jesus says in the gospel according to John, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. An advocate, it's translated in other English versions as helper or comforter, to be as close to you as your very breath itself. Greek word for spirit is pneuma. Pneuma, it means spirit, but it also means breath and wind. Same is true, interestingly enough, of the Hebrew word ruach, has all three meanings. This now is God's way with you. Like breath, the Spirit is in you and with you, steadily a part of your very life and very being. And just the same way you can't see the wind, but you can see what the wind is doing, so too with the Holy Spirit you can't see it, but you can see it at work. Luke tells us that this new way of God being with us burst into being on that day of Pentecost. It's easy for Christians to assume that Pentecost is our word, primarily a Christian thing, but long before there was a Pentecost Sunday or a Pentecostal church, there was a Jewish festival called Pentecost, Pentecost is the Greek word for the Jewish festival of Shavuot, which falls 50 days after the second day of Passover, so Pentecost, 50. It was both a festival for the Jews of the wheat harvest, but also a commemoration of the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, the law that gave them their foundational identity. Luke writes of the devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. 
And then he lists off all of those languages that could be heard on the streets of Jerusalem. And when it was Ian who stood up to read that long list of names, I thought, oh, thank goodness. He's a Baptist pastor. He can do that. (laughs) There would have been others there, too, who would have come to the city of Jerusalem precisely to mark that festival. Being a festival, people would have set aside their work for the day to enjoy and to celebrate to fulfill the day's expectations and obligations. And it's into this context that those followers of Jesus emerge from the house and they begin to speak. Well, if the picture of tongues of fire and a rushing wind inside of the house was impressive, to say nothing of more than a little bit wild, what Luke says happens next takes it up a whole other level. They speak. These are small-town Galileans, Aramaic, their first language, maybe some Greek as well. Yet each person heard them speaking in the native language of each. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Luke writes, on through to Cretans and Arabs, all were amazed, no kidding, amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? That's the key question, both then but also now as we read this story again. What does this mean? Well, as Luke tells the story, Peter stands and he provides the first answer. Peter grabs hold of words drawn from the prophet Joel. But he actually uses those words in a sort of an improvisational way. He brings them forward anew. The prophet Joel had spoken of the day when the Spirit would be poured out on men and women, young and old, slave and free. Yet, as the biblical scholar Brian Peterson points out, in the context of Joel, this passage meant the salvation of Israel and the destruction of the nations that oppressed it. But here, Peter finds in Joel's message something quite new. Absolutely, he's saying that this outpouring of languages is a gift, not unlike what Joel had envisioned. Yet, as these words roll off the tongues of those followers of Jesus, presumably not just off the tongues of the disciples, but also of the others who had been a part of that company, the women, the others who'd followed or joined the movement in the light of Easter, men, women, young, old, slave, free. And when the words pour off their tongues, they do not herald the destruction of the other nations, but instead their hope. The surprise of Pentecost, comments Peterson, the surprise of Pentecost is that the eschatological last days do not bring that destruction, but rather bring mission and redemption for the world. What does this mean? In a sermon preached in Duke University Chapel in North Carolina, Last year, at this time, for the Feast of Pentecost, Dr. Luke Powery said that, among other things, all of those languages on the street, they mean that, quote, in the spirit, diversity is not a dirty word. 
but a beautiful one. In the light of God, a beautiful one. Remember, in the strange story that Luke tells, everyone doesn't suddenly all understand or speak the same language. The language groups all remain intact, but they can all understand. Differences weren't erased. Instead, they're honored. People are addressed in their mother tongue. The distinctiveness of who they are as Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, is not wiped out. And so, Dr. Powery preached, so we should not erase our names, our languages, our cultures, our skin color, our hair texture, the color of our eyes, the shape of our bodies, our identities. We should not obliterate whom and what God has created in order to suit our needs and comforts and opinions. God made all of us with our own native tongue. And when we are tempted to erase that which is different, it is an affront to God and to God's collective body. Now, Dr. Luke Powery He's the dean of chapel at Duke and a professor in their divinity school. He comes from the black church tradition, a tradition which has not shied away from its own distinctiveness. In fact, its distinctiveness is what gives it its life, makes it what it is. When I have worshipped with churches in Harlem and on the south side of Chicago, I have seen and felt the power of that distinctiveness. Quite clearly, a visitor in those churches, visibly, very visibly, an outsider. Again and again, I knew myself invited in to share in, those, in the distinctiveness of those communities. As part of this thing called the body of Christ, somehow we are related, and I had a place. I could experience something of Paul's great proclamation that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And that was experienced precisely by being welcomed to share in the distinct expression of those church communities. The image of God at Pentecost, proclaimed Dr. Powery, is multilingual, multicultural, and multi-ethnic, not for a politically correct agenda, but because the gospel demands it. The gospel is polyphonic. All were amazed and perplexed and saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered. I loved when Ian read this. He kind of sneered. Others sneered and said, they're filled with new wine. It's all happening right before their eyes, right in their ears. But they just dismiss it. Doesn't mean anything. They're drunk. Don't you love Peter's response, though? They're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. He doesn't say, oh, no, 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 no. We, we would never touch wine. <laughs> it's only nine in the morning. 
It's easy, though, to snub our noses at those who blindly sneered at this little movement as it poured onto the streets in Jerusalem. Easy to snub our noses at their blindness. But we, individually, as churches and across the ages, have sometimes done the same. It's right before our eyes, and we've missed it. Who have we excluded? Dismissed, judged, overlooked, or simply failed to see? How often has the story of the church been marked by divisive factions? This denomination, this congregation, this theological movement, rather than than being marked by polyphonic diversity. Think, too, of one of the great and shameful tragedies of Christian history, of how colonial churches and their missionaries insisted that indigenous peoples here in North America or Africans or Polynesians take on European names, European dress, European customs and manners and norms in order to be accepted as Christians. Pentecost calls us beyond all that. With the enlivening and cleansing wind and fire of which Luke writes in Acts, with John's emphasis on the Spirit as advocate, comforter, guide, as close to you as your own breath, with Paul's powerful sense that it is the Spirit who binds us together as one body of Christ, precisely by giving gifts differing to each of us, but for the sake of the whole, we are called and challenged to be a different people, a new and ever-renewing people, a people always learning to sing our lives through this great polyphonic gospel a people, too, who must be open to new notes, new chords, new rhythms as they're added to the gospel polyphony. Because to do otherwise is to miss the great gift that is Pentecost. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. been listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For more information on the church or to offer your support for our ministries, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca.